The animal microbiome has been intensely studied over the past two decades, and we're just now starting to get a little bit of an understanding of what the gut microbiome is all about. And this week, we've got one of the foremost researchers in the field to bring us up to speed and what you need to know as veterinary professionals. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and one of the most exciting and perhaps confusing areas of research over the past couple of decades has been the gut microbiome. We know what it is, kinda. It's the gut bacteria, but it influences so much of our health that we wanted to bring you one of the world's top researchers in veterinary microbiome research. But before we introduce you to our very special guest, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And I'm really excited to hear about today's conversation. Honestly, I get pretty fascinated and geek out pretty hard when we start talking about microbes and the microbiome in our gut and how it affects, you know, all living beings. And so we're excited to welcome today um, one of the co-founders of Animal Biome, Dr. Holly Gantz. She is a microbial ecologist. Um, who is out in California. She graduated from UC Davis. She did some research at the University of California, Berkeley, um, and has really been in this space for 20 years. So, Dr. Holly, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And Holly, I got to tell you, it is a real delight to get you on here. Uh, you know, I've certainly known you now since the end of 2017, early 2018. We have intersected on a lot of different projects, both with Wild Earth, our plant-based dog food, and at Base Paws, where, of course, Becky and I are both working together to collaborate with you guys. But before we get started today, let me just ask you a really simple question. How did you get interested in studying the microbiome. That's kind of out there, especially 20 years ago. Well, you know, I wanted to study um, ecology and I, and I wanted to study animals and I decided to do a PhD. And, um, but I, I, before I, I guess while I was finishing undergrad, I took a class in proteophology and got turned on to the incredible diversity of life inside of, inside of animals. Um, you know, like just imagine we squished like a termite gut and like saw all the crazy ciliates and flagellates inside there. Um, and so I ended up deciding that I wanted to sort of combine microbiology with the study of animals. Wow. And Holly, let's just also remind our listeners, the Viewfinder family today that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this was an area that was largely ignored. Like we knew there were bacteria and yeast and fungi and even viruses that lived commiserately within living organisms, but they were kind of ignored, right? Yeah. I mean, we didn't have the tools to study them using genetics like we have today. I mean, which largely, you know, I think is credit goes to the human genome project to really accelerate innovation there. Um, and of course, um, the, the foundational work, um, that was done to identify 16S as a marker gene for characterizing bacteria. Right. So, and that's a really good point viewfinders. Like 
we knew this stuff existed, didn't understand the scope and the scale of it, but we didn't have tools to look at it. So it's sort of like if you think back to Pasteurian times, I guess you'd say, it's like, you know, we know that there's bacteria and stuff, but we don't know what to do with it and we don't know what the impacts are. So fast forward, you're now a student completing your PhD and then you started taking a turn towards the animal kingdom, the our world, the veterinary world, the animal stuff. How did that happen? It's true. I started off with invertebrates um, because the, you know, the vast majority of animal life on the planet is invertebrate. And I wanted to make sure that they got attention as well. I felt like being in classes with a lot of pre-med students, I felt like there was bias towards humans. Um, (laughs) But, but I, you know, and so I studied um, copepods and I studied insects and other crustaceans like Daphnia. Um, And then I decided that I did this postdoc where we were looking at how genetic diversity affected the spread of um, microorganisms that are infectious in like in Daphnia populations. And basically we found that genetic diversity effect of both the host and the um, microparasites affected their um, the spread of this infection. Or I, we did it both in fungi as well as bacteria, microspreading in parasites and um, fungal parasites as well as um, bacteria and um and found that basically anyway we were looking at the test i basically was testing ecological theory that related right. to um ideas about how like the genetic composition of a population may or may not be beneficial for protecting against infection and um we were trying to sort of relate our findings from this testing of the ecological theory to um, conservation biology um, but nobody really cares about Daphnia, right? Like they're a great model system. Um, and you can do that. You can, what's wonderful about them is that they're clonal. And so you can actually create really wonderful polycultures of them in the lab and you can grow phytoplankton and feed them. And so it's a great model system, but I started to want to relate what we were doing in the lab to problems that are being faced in the real world with like declining animal populations and conservation biology so I decided I wanted to start working on wildlife and I was incredibly fortunate because I came back to the Bay area from a postdoc abroad and I contacted um, a couple of professors at Berkeley and one of whom basically offered me the opportunity to work with African wildlife on the spot. So I just got very, very lucky. <laughs> so you went from studying water fleas to, to going to Africa to study amazing large mammals. I think it helped. It. I mean, he is a, a math, mathematician who who develops um, theory relating to the spread of disease in animal populations. So he understood where I was coming from. Gotcha. And again, viewfinders, I, I want to just sort of underscore what Holly's talking about. And, and that is that, okay, she's saying, well, okay, are there genetics that might prevent and protect you from disease, right? But not only that, but it's the genetics of things that live inside you. See, this is the exciting breakthrough that we're just on the cusp of, right, Holly? I mean, it's like you aren't just a... Your health isn't just determined by your genes. It's also determined by the genes of the things that live inside you. Absolutely. Yeah, we are, you know, my, mostly microbial yeah. and um, and like something like half of our immune system function is happening in the gut. Yeah, it's funny because this became interesting to me when I experienced it personally, when I first started taking probiotics and just like realizing how 
your entire system can be affected just by gut health in general. And, um, you know, started kind of researching and, and understanding a little better. But, and, and, and forgive me for like just this question, but I can't help it. Like, what do you tell people when you sit next to them on a plane? And they're like, what do you do? Because that intro you just gave us, I'm like, what, what do you tell people like you do? Well, this is a good question to ask if you want to go to sleep on an airplane, right? Because I mean. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah, I've been on a long journey um, with this. So I started getting to, um, interested in companion animals, you know, when I, you know, adopted a herding dog and during my postdoc and became sort of obsessed with making sure that she got enough exercise and had a healthy life. And um, it was really at that time that the tools to study the microbiome were really um, becoming available. And I, I was fortunate enough to collaborate with some researchers at Lawrence Berkeley Labs who had developed a gene chip. So we were able to look at the diversity of bacteria in soil samples. And I looked at random things like how um, like vultures might influence the structure of soil communities. And but I decided that I really wanted to apply these tools, the genetic tools and the bioinformatics um, skills that I was developing to try and improve the health of dogs and cats. I sort of became more practical, I think, as I got a little bit older. And so I guess that that is such a good intro into, I guess, my next question is just sort of the sense of when you said to me, well, when you said to us, sorry, I guess I made that real personal. I was really <laughs> into this conversation. When you said that you wanted to take what you were learning and apply it um, on a higher level, what was it you were learning? What is it you're learning? And what is this the goal, right, of animal biome when it comes to helping educate and serve and, and research the, the microbiome? That is such a good question. Dang, girl. Ooh, fire. Well, what, what I learned when I started to do this microbiome kind of work with sort of the modern genetic tools was that like, soil, for example, is incredibly diverse. And we know almost nothing about it, even though our food supply depends on it. And at the same time, we know almost, and especially then, this was in like 2007, um, we know and we still know very little about the microbiome of our gut and the rest of our bodies. It's like we just couldn't see these things before we had these genetic tools. And then um, these systems are complex ecosystems, and it's going to take a long time for us to sort of unravel the complexity. But the exciting thing is, is that they can be manipulated and um, in ways that may um, be able to help us mitigate or potentially um, improve health. I started with cats and dogs um, when I took a position doing research at the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine on dog oral health. And there's a lot of really nice work that has been done sort of documenting the formation of biofilms in the oral cavity and how it um, is changed with the progression of periodontal disease. But, um, but when I started Animal Biome, I was really focusing initially on gut health because I had done a citizen science project called Kitty Biome where I asked right. people to send in cat poop. And so, yeah, for a while, I just told people on the airplane that I study cat poop. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then they would like move as far away. <laughs> I, want, I wish you took pictures while you were telling them that. That's a video. Like a coffee table book of people's faces after you say, I study cat poop. <laughs> so Holly, you're a pro at this. So you have led naturally to my next question. Most of the viewfinder families have probably heard of you at least tangentially as the company that makes the poo pills. The poo pills. So maybe you can explain, A, why I do not like that term, and B, what that actually is all about. Well, I'm okay with the term. I would say there are others in, in the company who might not <laughs> like it, but um, our customers um, tend to to use it and like it. So, um, And it's definitely descriptive. I And I think part of the journey that we've been on as a company and, and starting with this business science project was communication, right? And scientific communication. How do you educate both, um, you know, pet owners as well as the veterinary community about this new um, area of research that's still in active growth? And so make, communicating things as long as it helps add clarity, like poop pills is fine with me. But um, why do we have a school bank? Why do we make poop pills available? I and mean, we started with, um, I had the vision of creating new diagnostics based on non-invasive fecal samples that might be able to, you know, augment existing diagnostic tests, but based on focusing on beneficial microbes. Um, but I basically, in talking to veterinarians as well as people with, with dogs or cats with chronic diarrhea, found that most people just don't want to have to, they want their pet to be healthy, right? And they don't want to have to deal with diarrhea on a daily basis. Yeah. And the testing isn't going to solve that problem because we didn't have things available that were really... Um, working for the refractory cases that came to us initially, especially, but even, even now. So um, coming from academia, I was very well versed in the massive amount of research that's gone on with fecal transplantation in human medicine. And um, there was a book that Marty Blazer wrote, um, I think in 2012, called Missing Microbes. And sort of the idea is that, you know, widespread use of, of broad spectrum antibiotics and maybe other medications has had unintended side effects on beneficial microbes that we just didn't know to test for when we developed some of these drugs historically. And that the loss of some of these key organisms might be contributing to chronic illness and chronic inflammation. And so I was very much inspired by that um, line of thinking and wanted to make fecal transplants more accessible. So what I did was I initially um, found some healthy donors. They actually were, came from like veterinarians um, own pets and I and got some poop and I put it in a blender and discovered how messy and horrific it is to <laughs> do that. You um, really needed so, a blender to tell you that it was going to be messy and smelly. Huh? Well, okay. I know, right? Okay. But you know, You're a PhD, that, I get it. no, no, if you've never <laughs> done it, you can't appreciate how messy and right. how smelly it can be. Like you think, you know, until you have actually made a fecal slurry and you, ooh. You know, and Holly, there's a whole generation of vets and vet techs that are have sent off their fecal samples, whereas people like me in the day, you know, it was all about us centrifuging and look under microscopes. So I'm used to slinging some poo around the clinic. Yeah, no, I actually mentioned to my veterinarian that I was thinking about starting to do some this parasite screening with a microscope again. And she was like, really? Why would you do that? No, but <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's actually a lot faster, right? But, um, and I have a microscope, but... Um, and a brain. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I actually like looking at parasites. Me too. Yeah. Well, Me too. Yeah. But um, so I basically 
you know, I was in, you know, from the beginning wanted to create an oral delivery route because in, for people like it's, it's preferred by everybody. And like, it seems like could be good for it, you know, like dogs don't mind. You know, well, I, there's I mean, so many jokes. I'm just going to let them, let them lay. Yeah. You let it go. We're into food humor around here. You have to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so basically these, these microorganisms aren't in probiotics on the market today. We right. need to have more innovation in probiotics, but it's very hard to get funding to do that work because it's, it's really um, costly. I mean, it's not that we can't do it. It's just, it takes investment capital to do it. And then, and figure out which ones can be stabilized and, you know, delivered. But what we have done so far is we have I've developed a way of basically freeze-drying the material but maintaining high viability of these organisms. Um, so I do consider it a way of de- delivering these native beneficial organisms for cats for cats and for dogs for dogs. And we are, like, creating isolates and working towards microbial cocktails in the future. But, um, but, you know, the gold standard will be to create cocktails that are as good as a fecal transplant. <laughs> cocktails, I just... <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and I guess oh, that's wow. exactly... Yeah. I guess that's exactly why it speaks passionately to my level of veterinary medicine because <laughs> I, I just know I've... The majority of fecal slurries I've seen are in the hands of veterinary technicians. Let me just put it that way. Um, You know, nothing to my veterinary friends who couldn't or wouldn't, but they don't have to. Just put it on a slide. Put it on a slide. And it's like another level, right? Like, but but my point is, is this? So we, I guess, what I want to say is that fecal transplantation has come a really long way in a very short amount of time. Like, I feel like it is becoming more of a household or hospital name, and something more and more people are. I don't even know how to not make this punny you know like what word do you I like dive into um introduce everything's a little punny when you're talking poop here but um you know people are doing it more and more with our parvo dogs and things like that so what I wanted to ask you about what you guys are doing is um is it is it a uh proactive situation is this something we can use in acute illnesses how is the poop i'm sorry do you not can i call it the poop pill <laughs> yes you can call it the poop okay pill. <laughs> how is it administered utilized and um and and actually in this case how is it really being underutilized yeah great question. so we do have both oral capsules for small dogs and um cats i mean they're obviously cat material for cats so you have the size four capsules for the small individuals and then we have a sort of standard size for medium and large individuals um and uh and those we recommend are delivered to be delivered delivered orally with food um i think more of the food like pushes things down so nothing gets stuck in the throat and um and the food does like move through the system with the material and helps to feed the microbes um we do also have powdered material that is available for enema transfer, and we have a protocol that our veterinarian has written, and we're happy to share that with anybody interested. I would say that that's been, I think, underutilized so far. Um, maybe we haven't really let people know that we do make that available. So they- Texas across America who are making poo slurries are like, what? I could have got some crystal light. <laughs> exactly. And um, we, most people actually, so I really was thinking about sort of the chronic enteropathies when um, developing this, but I would say a lot of the veterinarians I've spoken with are using it for also for things like skin conditions. Yeah. And Parvo, right? There was a really great paper out a year or so ago on, on use in Parvo, acute Parvo viral. Yeah. Viruses. One of the first papers um, showing that um, fecal transplantation is beneficial for companion animals was on Parvo and 
basically the puppies who were given, I think it was FMT by enema, um, they recovered faster. And I think if they had a larger sample size, there would have been higher survivorship. I mean, like, I think um, it was leaning that direction, but it was like 0.1 or 0.06. It wasn't quite 0.05. That, that word right there just, it struck me right in the gut, right? Survivorship. Because, um, and this is harsh, like trigger warning, right? But there's nothing I feel like, and I say this, and it is a very harsh thing to say, but I mean it for the shock value, um, in the veterinary industry than dead puppies and kittens, right? That's, to me, the thing I take the hardest. That's the saddest. That's the worst. They didn't even get a chance. And when it comes to parvo, I just feel like when we talk about emotional burnout and fatigue, it's those guys. It's these sick little puppies who didn't maybe need to get sick, who are just like wasting away. And we put so much time and energy and effort and love into those guys that having something like fecal transplantation that is really turning these guys around and we're seeing what you just exactly said, that survivability, these puppies go home, um, is a huge deal. And to me, it's like, yes, based patient care, you know, yes, survivability. But like, to me, these are ways we fix things in the veterinary industry that lead to the emotional, the ethical and, and, you know, that burnout that we talk about so much. Yeah, that is such a good point, Becky. Um, Holly, but again, a lot of the viewfinder family, they, they want to know how do we help with these chronic neuropathies, these IBD cases? I mean, there's also, I think a lot of, of emerging evidence that shows fecal transplant may be beneficial. Maybe speak around the, the, the other than the parvo in acute setting, the chronic enteropathies. Right. So what we found is that for roughly 80% of the dogs and cats that participated in our initial pilot study that had a chronic enteropathy, which I would say we, um, they hadn't been through the sort of new system of diagnosis of those, you know, like food responsive, et cetera. Like when we designed that study, we did, I didn't know all of that, all of that about the difference between IBD and chronic enteropathies. And I feel like there's still education happening in the community, I think, around that. But so I can't tell you which kind they were, but um, they basically reported that um, an improvement in the clinical science associated with those conditions and particularly a reduction in the frequency of diarrhea and vomiting. And um, I would say for about 40 percent of them, they that they actually found that one course of the capsules resolved things. So I think what we started with our testing was to see, can we identify those cases where what they really need are these missing microbes? And once they colonize, things will get better. There are other more difficult cases where sometimes they need to continuously take it. Like I think I can think of specifically like some boxers yeah, right. who just seem predisposed and there's like a boxer in Alaska who's been taking our capsules now for almost three years. And wow. but she's like happy to do it because it works for her her yeah. dog. The other thing too, of course, where you and I have worked together is just the role of diet on the microbiome because obviously if there are certain nutrients in a dog food or cat food, it's gonna influence the microbe biome of, of the dog or the cat. And so I know you've worked with lots of other companies, not just Wild Earth, but, you know, certainly, um, you know, I, don't you see that that's going to also be an area of emerging and evolving interest, right? Is like, how can we use the dietary formulations to actually influence the microbiome, therefore influencing overall health and well-being yeah, of the, the pets? Yeah, I know. So yeah, in the beginning, I started more with the fecal transplant approach to manipulating the microbiome. But um but I have come to realize that 
one, you have to, you have to do that in um, concert with making sure that they are on a healthy diet that's not making them reactive. And, um, and that you can also heal the gut microbiome a lot with diet. So even if they seem to have low diversity, by improving the diet, we do see diversity improve. I think it maybe just happens faster if you mix in a cocktail of, you know, these missing microbes, but they do seem to, over time, recover quite well with food. And you have to, of course, feed, you know, you are what you eat and um, having a healthy diet is foundational. There was a study that came out recently showing that fecal transplantation is also beneficial for dogs with acute diarrhea. And so it's not just for the chronic conditions. You know how I feel about dietary fiber and dog mm -hmm. diets. So I think there's just so much there we're unlocking and just now, un, you know, really uncovering. And, uh, you know, my interest in beta glucans, I mean, I don't, we could spend several hours. Holly and I love talking about those kind of things, but we know that. A, traditional dog foods have really been deficient in like beta-glucans, for example, and other forms of dietary fiber, and I get it, and that's fine, but we're now starting to say, wait a second, you know, these dogs might benefit from additional dietary fiber, so it's just something that I think it's really exciting to have people like Dr. Ganson in our world because, you know, yeah. she's out there doing this cool research, and again, not just for plant-based dog foods, but just for pet nutrition in general. And kind of to that point, I just kind of want to shout out the fact that they have a huge woman leadership team. Yeah. So it's, um, in fact, it looks like there's only one guy on your leadership <laughs> team and science team. So they're rocking the, you know, boss bleepers, um, boss ladies out there. And uh, I really appreciate that you guys are, are are doing that as well. You guys are are really leading in this industry, in this space, and in, in a really cool way. And and Holly, I, I don't know if you'd like to share with the viewfinders, but you also are a survivor. And that also informs your story, I think, and gives you a sense of, of reason. I mean, would you like to share that aspect of your life with, with our audience? Oh, yeah, sure. I sometimes worry that it's distracting from... Um you know, the, the company story, but I, um, part of what led me to start Kitty Biome, which, which led into Animal Biome was, which is a citizen science project was, I um, had been struggling to get funding to, to study the cat microbiome. I basically found traditional funding sources, and this was five years ago, just didn't understand the value of the animal microbiome, and they didn't really want to fund companion animal work. So I did a Kickstarter, and the reason I launched it in part was because I had um, been diagnosed and treated for breast cancer. And I was sort of grappling with my own mortality and, you know, the fact that life is short and I just, I really wanted to do it. And I was, you know, just was going to make it happen. And, um, and that led me to, you know, put myself out there with doing a Kickstarter. And then, you know, basically people wanted to, you know, interview us about the project. And so I had to start saying yes to things like this, doing podcasts. I'm an absolute introvert. Um, it's <laughs> no, been really, not. really good for me to grow and develop and, and, and learn to, to say yes to those things. Well, I got to tell you, Holly, every time I have the opportunity to spend with you, you know, I take it. Uh, I love your energy, your enthusiasm, your intellect. I mean, golly Moses, viewfinders, if you didn't detect a little bit of super genius there, yeah. then we need to check the radar because she is brilliant. She's doing things really the right way in research. She has a true heart. I'm telling you, she is just a force of nature. Just Holly, you have no idea how happy I am to know you. And of course, I'm so glad now that you get to work with Becky at Base Paws because some cool stuff there. It's all about genes and health and well-being. And I mean, golly, Holly, you're awesome. Thank you so much. I I wanted to um, also just do a shout out in that if 
for those listening who might be interested in attending the ACBIM conference that's going to be virtual, I think next week or is it later this week? Um, we have submitted an e-poster with a 15-minute talk and that you would get continuing education for, and we're very excited about it. Well, viewfinders, we want to know what you think about the microbiome and poo pills and fecal transplantation. Are you using probiotics in your practice? Are you analyzing gut microbiome? Is that on your radar? If not, why not? And I will tell you right now, definitely check out animalbiome.com. We'll have links in the show description, but Dr. Holly Gantz is really setting the world on fire. One of the preeminent researchers in this field. It's a small space right now, but it is expanding rapidly. Again, we want to thank you, Holly, for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again so much, Dr. Holly. We want to see your poo slurry pics. Uh, maybe. <laughs> find us over on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder at Instagram at Vet Viewfinder and if you want to talk to Dr. Ernie check out Twitter because you won't find me there <laughs> at Vet Viewfinder and you can listen to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast make sure you head over to iTunes if you use the iThings give us the stars and leave a few comments and let us know how we're doing until next time I'm really holding back on the poo puns bye <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Don't hold back. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>